Well, please take a seat. Really is great to see you. A special welcome. If this is your very first time to Kingsgate, or maybe it's the first time back to church for some time, why don't we put our hands together and welcome all those watching online in Cambridge, Leicester, or watching in homes. Well, today we're giving thanks for the Queen, somebody who has been in many ways kind of at the head and also at the heart of this nation for seven decades. And on the day before what I'm sure is going to be a massive global event, her funeral, that is going to evoke all kinds of emotions amongst so many. I want to bring a message that I hope will do something for wherever we're at right now at this time to bring, this is my prayer, a sense of comfort, celebration, hope, and inspiration. First, my real prayer is that what I'm going to share will bring great comfort as we grieve our loss. Now, you may not personally feel impacted by the Queen's death or not, but it's very evident that many people, both in this nation and across the world, really are mourning her loss. And can I say, I believe it's entirely appropriate that times like this, people feel a sense of mourning and a sense of grief. The Queen herself said, grief is the price we pay for love. You know, the more someone is loved, the more we can feel their loss. But also it's worth acknowledging that, you know, the Queen was like a, not just... um, Uh, She was like a symbol of stability. Many people who never met the queen identified with her as a matriarch, as a a kind of a mother, a grandmother, a source of comfort and stability and security. Many people say she's always been there. We've never known a time when she wasn't there and has brought a great sense of strength throughout all life's changes and challenges. Moreover, her passing has actually triggered more personal feelings of bereavement. I saw a program where the broadcaster, Andrew Marr, was being interviewed. And he said this, I'm nobody's idea of a rabid monarchist, but he identified and he said, I still felt, and this was his words, a visceral reaction when he heard the news of her death. And he went on, he said, I think it was due to the fact that at that moment, Thoughts of my own father's death two years ago flooded through me. And he concluded by saying, it's a complicated thing. How many of you know it's a complicated thing? (laughs) We are complicated beings. We have been made with um, emotions. And the way we react to things can be kind of complicated. And so you may right now be experiencing not necessarily grief at the loss of the queen, But like Andrew Marr, it may have triggered other sense of bereavement, past bereavement, that may be still under the surface. And maybe it's a time for you to bring that before the Lord and ask for his comfort. But I'm also aware that there may be other losses in our lives, not necessarily the loss of a loved one, but it could be the loss of a relationship or an opportunity or a job or even the sense of a loss of a particular season of life. Uh, talking about seasons of life. Many years ago, uh, we as a family were getting ready uh, for our oldest daughter, Emily, to go to university. Now, of course, that's a good thing. She's growing up. (laughs) She's forging her own life. But we were a really close family. And so there was a sense in which it was like the ending of an era. Now, Karen, my wife, is 
much more in touch with these things than I am and much better at preempting this kind of thing. And so for the two or three months beforehand, I'd often find her and she was kind of going through a mourning or a grieving process ahead of time. Whereas I thought, hey, I'm just fine. So anyway, um, we, we said goodbye to Emily, drove up to uni, came back down. And then I think it was about a couple of nights later, Karen came into the study to find me sobbing uncontrollably. And she said, what's the matter? And I kept saying, she's gone, she's gone, she's gone. In other words, I wasn't prepared, but um, it was almost like after the event, that, that sense of loss really hit me. And only then did I begin to um, grieve uh, what was, you know, not a bad thing, but it was a change of season, and I needed to grieve the changing dynamic of our family life. Right now, um, I'm processing a much greater family loss, I think somewhat better. As some of you know, two weeks before the Queen's death, my dad rang to say that she, my dear mum, had gone. And, um, you know, it, it's been incredibly tough. Uh, we're still preparing for her funeral this Thursday. And so we're right in the middle of a, a time of family mourning. And I've had to learn all over again not to kind of bottle up emotions and be prepared to cry when I need to cry. Yeah, just yesterday I was down with my dad and we had a wonderful time with him and he just said something just as we, uh, as we were going that just triggered something for me. And I got into the car and I burst into tears. And for like the next sort of 30 minutes, I was a complete wreck. And it's not comfortable. It can be kind of scary, if you like, when you feel those kind of things. But I'm learning, okay, if it's in there, I've got to let it out. And, um, you know, I've also learned not, not to... Not to sort of, you can't plan for these things. It's some people talk grief like, like waves that suddenly will come upon you. Um, I, I've learned that certain things, I can be just fine, and then a certain piece of music or an event or a memory can come and it just, just kind of hits you. Uh, and also, I've learned that, you know, it's okay not to feel certain things. So, you know, if I'm feeling fine, I'm not feeling guilty if I'm getting on with life. It's a complicated thing. But the point is, I've been trying to be as open as I can to the Lord and seek help to process this as well as I can. And as I've been doing that, I've been conscious of something even greater and deeper than the grief and the sense of loss. And it's the comfort of one who the Bible describes as the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. That's what I've been so aware of. And, you know, I've been a Christian for many decades, but in these recent days, it's almost like I've, I've discovered a new sense of just the nearness and the dearness of the Lord, of the, the Lord who is close to the brokenhearted, the, the one who, in the person of Jesus, wasn't afraid of grief, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He still wept um, at the news of one of his best friend's death. And so I say all that because I'm just conscious that, you know, this whole season may have brought up a sense of loss or real bereavement. My prayer for you is that something of this comfort that I'm experiencing, that the Holy Spirit will minister to you both today and in the coming days. My prayer is that for all of us that we will um, sort of live in the good of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And my prayer, and I'm going to pray at the end, my prayer is that you will know 
the special comfort of the Lord. Now, of course, one of the ways that we can mourn the loss of somebody passing is we think about lots of happy memories and all the good things. And, you know, I'm, I'm having to prepare for the tribute on behalf of the family for my mum. And most of what I'm going to share is just some really great poignant and funny memories, you know, of her life. And so I believe as we think about the Queen, it's entirely appropriate as well, if to whatever extent we feel we need to, to mourn her loss. Secondly, I believe this is a time for great gratitude as we celebrate her amazing life. And what a remarkable life she lived. I mean, you don't have to be a royalist. You don't have to approve of what the royal family stands for to acknowledge that the queen herself as a person and as a leader is has been absolutely remarkable even though she was small of physical stature she's almost like stood head and shoulders above leaders and rulers all around the world she is has been truly remarkable so what can we celebrate well firstly as we did at the jubilee and it's good just to celebrate her longevity I mean, her 70-year reign has been the longest in the 1,200-year history of the English and British monarchy. That's something to thank God for, isn't it? Why don't we thank God for her amazing longevity? You know, over the last seven decades, um, you know, we've had now 16 prime ministers. We've only had one queen. And so it's good to celebrate her longevity. But if her, reign, if her reign had been awful, if she'd been a, a, a tyrannical kind of person, we wouldn't be talking about this. They wouldn't be getting the national and global attention. The reason we celebrate is not just her longevity, it's her incredible life of integrity. She didn't just live a long time, she lived a remarkable life of integrity. I mean, let's just step back from it. Here's a, here's a woman who, I mean, for the moment she became princess, but certainly through her reign, has lived in the public gaze, almost like her every raise of an eyebrow or intonation of her voice. Every little detail has been played out across the world stage. And of course, with social media and whatever, that's just increasing. The pressure must be enormous. And again, it's hard to imagine how she has navigated massive cultural, moral, technological changes in 70 years. It's also hard to imagine some of the personal pain and anguish that she must have experienced on behalf of her family. And yet all of this has been played out on the world stage. And yet through it all, One thing that almost everybody who knows her, both publicly or privately, has said, she managed to keep her integrity. And in a world where it's not, it's a little bit in short supply, I think we need to celebrate and thank God for this incredible woman of integrity. Thank God that she's been our queen for 70 years. And of course, I think something that undergirds this integrity is her amazing humility. Even though for most of her life, she's been arguably the most or one of the most famous people on earth, she's not been somebody who's had airs and graces. Of course, she's dignified. She's a royal. She knows how to conduct herself. But people who met her talked about somebody who was, in many ways, ordinary. Somebody who didn't intimidate you, but put your, your ease Somebody who had something about her 
but somebody who wasn't trying to kind of put you down. And these internal qualities of integrity and humility, of course, have flowed over into something that she's probably most revered for, which is her incredible life of service. Her duty to the service of this nation and many nations is something that has been truly, truly astonishing. Right to her last days, she kept up an incredible activity and devotion to duty. She, she didn't step out, she didn't back off, she didn't slow down. Obviously her health had, had a bearing in, in her most recent days, but she kept going in the service of people and in the service of this nation and other nations. What an amazing servant we we've had for so many years. The question is, what was her secret? How did she maintain over this 70 year period such incredible integrity, humility, and a dedication to duty? Well, many commentators, of course, rightly pick up on the fact that she owes a lot to her dad and to her family. You know, her dad was, rem- was a remarkable role model and clearly did well to prepare her for the role. But if you actually listen to what the Queen herself said, which is occasionally mentioned by, by the media, but it's very clear if her actual sayings, she would say the source of her strength, even greater than her dad or her family, was her faith in Jesus Christ. That's what underpinned her whole life. And of course, we could see that many, many times um, in her public Christmas Um, address broadcast, just for example, a couple of examples, 2008, she said this, I hope that like me, you'll be comforted by the example of Jesus of Nazareth, who often in circumstances of great adversity managed to live an outgoing, unselfish and sacrificial life. He makes it clear that genuine human happiness and satisfaction lie more in giving than receiving more in serving than in being served. Notice there, what's her motivation? She's following the example of Jesus. And of course, it's, not, it's very clear that Jesus' example and inspiration wasn't just for a public service, it was for the whole of her life. 2006 address, she says this, billions of people now follow Jesus' teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. And here she is, she nails her colors to the mast. I am one of them. This great queen knew that she was ultimately serving the King of Kings. He was the guiding light for her life. But it's not just Jesus' example. It was her personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ that undergirded and sustained everything. Archbishop of Canterbury, please pray for him, by the way, as he's got to address the world in the funeral tomorrow. But as the Archbishop has just summarized it in recent days, her trust in God and profound love for God was foundational in how she led her life hour by hour, day by day. So why don't we just take one more moment to honor this incredible woman, 70-year reign, integrous, humble, servant-hearted follower of Jesus. Let's thank God for her. So my prayer is that this will be a great time of comfort, but also a great time of celebration. But thirdly, and this is particularly for those of us who have a faith in Jesus, and if we haven't here today, I trust this will really speak to you. I believe this is a time 
for great hope as we remember the resurrection. Listen to what the queen herself said. She says, 2002, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. You see, one of the things about this time, as well as maybe bringing up a sense of loss, is there's a whole sense that all this talk about death and funerals, I mean, if you watch the BBC, how many hours have we been focused on a coffin? And we understand why, because there's a lot of mourning going on. But it can seem disturbing and, you know, death and death and mourning and mourning and loss. And, and I believe it's not just that we can find talk of death just an uncomfortable subject. But when we think about her death, I believe sometimes it can evoke questions about what about what happens when we die? And is there such a thing indeed of the afterlife? And I believe it's something that we reflect on, but it's also an opportunity for us as we talk to others. Uh, I, I've got a friend of probably 15 years or more now, uh, not, not, not yet a Christian, and you know, not had many conversations about the faith. It hadn't seemed very open, and yet literally, uh, I think it was on, on Friday, just he knew about my mom, talked about the queen, and I just asked a question, you know, what, what do you think about the afterlife? Half an hour later, we were still there. Because people are open, and you may be thinking, so what does happen? And I explained my hope, as I'll explain in a moment what the Bible says. And after, he says, well, I like your way. I hope it's the right one. So the question is, what does happen when we die? Well, I think that, and what do you think happens? Well, there's four main kind of views out there, predominant views. The first is, in culture, that is. The first is what is simply annihilation. In other words, what happens when we die? Nothing. <laughs> we live, we die, that's it, finished. Not a lot of hope there, is there? And then, I want to be respectful on this one because I know it's very widespread in certain cultures, but there's, the other is reincarnation. We will continue, but we'll come back in another life form. I've never found that particularly appealing. The other is a belief in ghosts or spiritism, which we, we continue to have some kind of connection with, with, lost, with um, people who've gone, some kind of ongoing connection with them. You know, sometimes with family members, sometimes with celebrities. Of course, people still feel they, they maybe have some kind of connection with Elvis, for example. It's real. It's out there. And then there's what could, it broadly, I think, is a, a view that many people think is the Christian view, of what happens when we die. I'd simply describe it as we go to heaven when we die. But as I was explaining to my friend, the great hope of the, the, the gospel is far better than annihilation, than reincarnation or spiritism. But it's also far more glorious than just we go to heaven when we die. Now certainly when somebody who liked the queen, who is a believer, dies, she in her soul and her spirit goes to be with the Lord. She's not, she is not in the coffin, her body is in the coffin. But she is already in heaven with the Lord. That's why we may be concerned, she's in a better place. And this hope of being with the Lord, I believe for us as Christians, we need to just say, you may be here and you say, well, I'm still a bit afraid of death. Jesus died on the cross, Hebrew tells us, to, to, to break the grip of the fear of death off our lives. 
Paul in some of his letters. He's having a tough time serving the Lord. And he, he kind of says, I'm in a bit of dilemma, guys. He said, I really just love to go and be with the Lord right now. It's going to be kind of better. He says, but for your sake, I better hang around. No fear of death there, you see. So there is the certainty when we die, we go, if we're in the Lord, we go to be with the Lord in heaven. But that is not the great hope of the, the Christian faith. That is, the, the great hope is that that is a temporary resting place where we wait for the great hope, which is when Jesus Christ will return as the resurrected, glorified King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he returns, there is going to be a resurrection of all true believers and everyone who's in the Lord, their soul and their spirit is going to be reunited with their body. Same kind of body, but far better, far more glorious. And we are going to be prepared to live in a real place, new heavens on a new earth, not floating around in some boring spiritual existence forever. But no, a real life with real glorified resurrection bodies <laughs> on a new earth in the new heavens. And in this place, there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. That's our hope. And in that place, we're going to know people that, that we knew on earth. We're going to recognize other believers. We'll recognize the queen. <laughs> you know, if somebody's declining in life, we might say of them, well, they're a shadow of their former selves. But as the theologian N.T. Wright puts it, he says, in the light of the resurrection to come, if you're a Christian, you're just a shadow of your future self. I love it. <laughs> hey, the best is yet to come. If you think the queen was great in this life, wait until you see in the life to come. If you, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll recognize people who say, oh, is that, yeah, that's so-and-so, but they look so different. We are gonna be far more glorious. That is our great hope. And so it's not that we don't grieve, but it changes our mindset and perspective on the very natural process of grief. Paul puts it like this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's not saying we don't grieve. He's saying we don't grieve like people who have no hope. We have a hope. And as I'm experiencing right now, it just gives a different tinge and perspective on everything else doesn't take away the sense of natural loss that is right and appropriate of loved ones please don't misunderstand me but it does mean everything just has a different feel because we have the hope of future resurrection amen why don't we just thank Jesus for his resurrection and for the great hope that we have in our resurrection in the age to come so time of great hope uh, comfort, celebration, hope. But finally, as we honor the queen in her life and death and trust, you know, we're certainly going to be watching the funeral. I believe this is a time not to miss. It's a time also, I, my prayer is it will be of great inspiration as we seek to follow her amazing example. You see, as we consider her long and great life, I believe it's too good an opportunity for miss for us just to assess where are we at in our lives right now? You know, I'm thinking at 59, if I live to 96, I want to make sure that the trajectory of the rest of my life is on course. And it's clear if you look at the Queen, as we saw very briefly in that amazing tribute earlier on, it's clear that the Queen made some decisions early in her life that shaped the rest of her life. 
You see, as a child, she was unprepared for the prospect of being queen. Then when the whole succession thing changed, at a very young age, she had to suddenly adjust to the fact that she was the heir to the throne. And by the time she made that much quoted and famous speech from Cape Town in, on her 21st birthday, it's clear that she'd already become, come to embrace what is a heavy responsibility of her life calling. She said this, I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be, listen to this, devoted to your service. And she concludes with words like this, God, help me to make good my vow. And the reason this has been so quoted is because here's somebody, this wasn't a vain promise. This wasn't a party political broadcast. I'm going to say it and I might not follow through on it. This is somebody who made a solemn vow to her people before her God. And the reason it's quoted now is because everybody can look back. She delivered. She did it. She lived out her vow. Three things I love about this. Firstly, she had a solemn sense of her God-given destiny and her unique role. Second thing I love about it is it wasn't about her. She wasn't talking about her as a ruler. She was talking about the fact that her life was to be devoted in the service of others. Her life was to be about others. And thirdly, she recognized that not only did her calling come from God, but her calling was something that could only be accomplished with the help and the strength of God. Hence she prays, God help me to make good my vow. And I'm sure she prayed that many, many times. We know she was a woman of prayer. She's a bit like, reminds me of King David, the great king of Israel, who after he had died, says, he served the purpose of God in his own generation and then fell asleep. I love it. So this great queen of ours has served the purpose of God in this generation. She's fallen asleep. She's just changed the dress. She's waiting, resting, ready for the resurrection. And what an inspiration I believe this should be for us all. And my prayer, not just for Charles, but for us as a culture. Because boy, do we need that kind of spirit of integrity and humility and service to change something of the fabric of the way we are. Would you agree? So three things, just like the queen. Can I say, you and I, whether you're watching online, whether you're here today, God has a specific, unique calling for you to fulfill. He has, if you like, a lane that you're to run in. And it's different to anyone else's race. It will not be to be queen of this country. But it will be to how God has uniquely fashioned you. Secondly, like the queen, and more importantly, like the king that she served, the true servant King Jesus, if we are really going to fulfill our calling, whatever it looks specifically, and it will be different for all of us, one thing is sure, if we're going to follow Jesus Way, and if we're going to imitate the Queen's great example as she followed Jesus, it's not going to be about us. It's going to be about how can we serve the people in our world. Our family, our friends, our work colleagues, our neighbours, our local church. Let's be those who embrace the calling like she did 
to serve other people in honour of our serving of the King. And thirdly, let's like her, her be praying today and for the rest of our days, Lord help me, I need your help and the power of the Spirit to enable me to fulfil my life calling. So as we think about the Queen's life, it's time I believe for us to consider our lives. Ask the question, are you on course right now for however many years you have left to fulfill the destiny God has for you? You can't change what has happened, but you can make a difference from this moment on to what happens at the, the, the rest of the time. Yeah. It may be you're, you're young and like the queen, you have the privilege of hearing this message now and making choices now that will determine the rest of your destiny. It's never too early to make that decision. You may be a bit confused somewhere in between. <laughs> you know, and you think, I just feel busy and overwhelmed with life. And maybe I used to have a sense of calling or I never have. I can't figure it out. And I would say, why not use this moment to reassess where you're at and the trajectory of your life? Is God first? Is your, are you fulfilling the plan he has for your life? We've well, got to make some changes. Or you may be a little bit later in life. Because it's never too late to make a difference from this point on. Don't leave it too late until it is too late. And so this is an opportunity for us to respond. I want to invite the band back. And, you know, I've touched on some big issues here today. Issues of comfort and mourning losses. Issues of our eternal hope and being freed from the fear of death and and issues of fulfilling God's plan and purpose in our life. So I'd like to invite us to stand right now. And um, those of you watching online, you might want to join with us. We're going to sing an old song, but a beautiful song. It's kind of a song of consecration and dedication. The first part of it goes like this. What shall I say? What can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, O oh God, completely to you. Right now, why don't you just take a moment, just you might in a physical posture, just to put your hands out as a way of saying, Lord, I want to open my heart to you. It may be that the, the main thing God wants to do in your life right now is where I kicked off, comfort for those who mourn. And my prayer is right now in this moment, as you don't bury the feelings, but you bring them before Jesus, that you will know the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, ministering comfort to you, I believe there'll be a work right now and then there'll be an ongoing work maybe in the next few days. Or it may be you're somebody you don't yet know the Lord and you're like, I don't know the nearness of God like this. I don't know where I'm gonna go where I when I die. I don't know my life calling. Well, now's be a great moment to open your heart to the Lord. Not your physical heart, but your being, 
the inner part of your life and say, God, I want you to come in. Be my Lord. Maybe you were following God. But you've drifted. You got distracted. Maybe your heart was open, but it's like shriveled and closed. Reopen your heart to the Lord and let him do a fresh work.